0: Hey, everybody, and thank you for joining us on the Product in LA podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Cole, and uh, this is an opportunity to shine the spotlight on some of the exceptional product leaders we have here as part of the LA product community. Really excited for this episode, we have Brittany Russ with us.
1: Hi, Ethan.
0: Hey, Brittany, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: Oh, that's awesome. We're so excited. as always, the Product in LA podcast is brought to you by the Product Managers Association, Los Angeles. It is 2000 of LA's best and brightest product talent. Um, you can find them at pma.la. They have monthly meeting events. They have a LA Product Leadership Council. And they also have a mentorship program, which Brittany is actually the head of. And uh, actually putting you on the spot here, Brittany, do you wanna tell us a little bit about the the mentorship program?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, PMLA has had a mentorship program that started in 2020. We've helped actually over uh, 270 students from underrepresented uh, backgrounds through a one-on-one mentorship program. So, we found that uh, we thought we could be most effective in our community by helping empower students through mock interviews, resume reviews, and just general connection with a product leader in
0: LA. So for folks who really want to try to make a difference, try to make a better next, more diverse, better next generation of product people, um, it sounds like the the PMA mentorship program really is something that they can do to give back and and find rewarding.
1: Absolutely. And uh, this is a great time to sign up. We are accepting mentors and mentees, actually, as we speak for our fall program. That'll be starting uh, end of this month.
0: That's awesome. And you can find this at pma.la slash mentorship. Thank you so much, Brittany. And uh, as I mentioned, today's guest is Brittany Russ. Uh, She's head of the mentorship program at PMLA, but she also does a a number of other things. Uh, That is just a volunteer, purely volunteer form of um, giving back to the community. Uh, In her day job, she's director of product management at Code Academy in her present role. And some of her past roles include director of product at Planet Art and also at Evite. And uh, one interesting fact you might find from her LinkedIn profile is Brittany is also a a member of the board of trustees at the Altadena Arts Group. Um, Do you wanna tell us a little bit about that too?
1: yeah, absolutely. So uh, Alta Dina Arts is uh, a grassroots nonprofit that really is all centered around giving a platform for uh, underrepresented artists in the community to be um, be able to be shown um to have art festivals. and it's also centered around uh, a big um kind of park initiative we want to make to also bring art into the community through parks uh, park initiatives. So yeah,
0: that's awesome. Um, and, you know, as we know with uh, product management, the journey is half of the game here. Um, there's this generation hasn't gone to school for product management, you know, some of the up and comers may, but, uh, for folks who are around these days, they all kind of found their way into product. I'd uh, love to hear your journey into, into product management.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I would say just like first off the bat, I absolutely stumbled into product management. Uh, when I uh, attended college at UCLA, um, I was pretty convinced I wanted to uh, work full time at a particle accelerator. I took on a physics <laughs> major. Uh, I was very dead set on this, had a lot of conviction, um, but that first freshman summer, Uh, I got an internship working for a lab that was related to uh, particle accelerator work and very quickly realized that was not a fit and uh, not really what I wanted my future to be. So I had that, (laughs) so to say, come to Jesus moment where I was looking through the book of majors and wondering, what am I going to be doing with my life? Um, but I knew I had a fascination with tech and, and the one thing that that internship uh, ended up requiring was for me to learn how to code and I realized I was way more interested in that aspect of the internship, rather than the physics aspects. Um, but I also knew I didn't wanna be a full-time CS major. So I ended up gravitating towards a major called cognitive science. Um, and it's so funny cause I think it actually has some similarities with product in that it's very multidisciplinary You can, you know, each quarter looks very different. You can really, especially when you get to the upper div level, kind of cobble something together that suits your interests. And so that's exactly what I did. I I did a lot on human interaction and did, you know, coding classes, um, kind of behavioral, uh, psychological things. So, um, you know, I, I loved my time. But then once I got to a career fair, no one really knew what to do with me. I was especially going to tech job fairs because that's what I wanted to land in, Um, but I wasn't gonna be the strongest coder. I wasn't gonna be the strongest designer. I was just a little bit of everything. Um and so I had a roommate and best friend who had worked at a company called Bluebeam Software, a B2B construction software company. And she had interned there for two summers and she said just talk to the CTO, he's the nicest guy. So I talked to Don and he um listened to my whole spiel very patiently and said, "Sounds to me like you want to do product." And I couldn't help myself. I said, "Let me go home and Google that. I have no idea what product is." <laughs> I'll get back to you. Um, and learned more about the field, started a role there as a product analyst, and the rest is history from there. Definitely fell in love with product. Um, You know, I've been over a decade in product and hope that the ne- next decade in, you know, is still in this field. So that's, that What I say my, is my origin story into the field.
0: That's funny. So cognitive science, was that um, a major at UCLA? First of all, go Bruins. And then second, is it a major at UCLA or is it something you cobbled together as kind of independent studies that, that turned into actually like, sounds like you majored potentially in product uh, before yeah. that was a thing?
1: So it is a major there. It's a Bachelor of Science. Um, but I will say that it's something that, uh, again, doesn't have a ton of definition in, in terms as far as what you have to do. There's so many uh, classes that fit the requirements to get the get the degree.
0: That's awesome. And also sounds like another exciting moment from from your journey is the fail fast. It sounds like, you know, summer after freshman year, you had an idea of what you want to do. Um, You didn't mention it, but you mentioned like a European particle accelerator uh, in another conversation. It sounds like it was CERN and it it turned out that that wasn't your life.
1: That was the end goal. I would have loved (laughs) to have worked at CERN. This was uh, for uh, getting data from a particle accelerated lab that was small from a New York lab actually. Um, But I will say, yeah, if there were two things, one is absolutely the lesson of failing fast, couldn't have said it better. So glad I didn't spend four years getting a physics degree, that application of doing the, seeing what the on the job actually looked like. And then the second thing is the power of networking. You know, I was getting pretty discouraged on those job fairs of no one really calling me back and not really knowing my path forward. And all it took was that one conversation through, you know, my roommate to set off the rest of my career. And I really think that's something that, uh, you know, you hear that power of networking getting mentioned, but that's definitely a testament in my story as well.
0: That's interesting. and And mentorship is such a part of what you do now. Were there any mentors... That helped you break into the field, or is that something that came along at the end, or is where did this you know passion to give back really stem from?
1: Yeah, I would say I absolutely have had multiple mentors through my throughout my career, but especially at my time at Evite, I had a, a mentor who continues to be my mentor today, um, who really took me under her wing. Um, and I think the power of just seeing what that was able to do to accelerate my career Mm. and then also really helped me establish my own brand and have confidence. And also this was something where this was a fellow woman in tech to have me feel comfortable as a woman, a woman in, in tech was also something I really had to navigate and having someone be that helping hand was tremendous. And so um, that was one aspect of what got me connected to mentorship another one is i've been a UCLA one mentor so able to kind of see that kind of the power of that program and then. Lastly, i'll say is just honestly the research itself, if you look at what you know someone can do in terms as far as giving back. Uh, the research has shown one on one mentorship really is just one of the most effective ways to actually bring diversity into the workplace. Um, so that was another kind of data point that called to me.
0: And I, I couldn't agree more about the the power of mentors and, you know, I've had a number of them in throughout my life and, uh, you know, that, that's part of what's so exciting that the, the PMA mentorship program provides for folks who may not have access to some of the mentors that, um, some of the folks who, who came up through, you know, the university systems are able to get.
1: Absolutely. And even working at the best companies and having incredible bosses, there's still a huge amount of value to have a mentor that's a safe space for you to go to and to develop and work on those skills that you might not be able to um, otherwise.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's, it's such a powerful thing. Um, kind of going along that line, you know how how do you do product management today? and should these conversations with mentors and different projects you've worked on has you know created you know Brittany Russ as a product person today. Um, love to hear more about what is that what does that mean and feel to you?
1: Yeah, I definitely uh, I love my role today at Code Academy. I'm focused on the consumer side of the business. Code Academy empowers uh, learners to really kind of either get the skills or start from scratch to get into programming today at a very affordable way so again i think it's kind of democratizing access to um a, a a career in tech and so i'm very connected to that mission you can see there's a theme you know <laughs> for me a little bit um and so as a director though um you know I'm, I'm out of necessarily the day-to-day of like working on features and products and so there's definitely right. a mentoring aspect of my team making sure i'm showing up as a good leader that i'm mentoring and growing the career of my direct reports um, and really also thinking about how my footprint can scale at the company and also make us as a whole better. So that's just some things I'll, I'll get more to your specific question though about product and how we do it there. Um, so really at Code Academy, we, we kind of go through your standard process of discovery, design, execution, and data. Um, I will say that like throughout my career, I've seen different, teams do better jobs at different phases of those steps in product um so for code academy specifically i can say i am extraordinarily impressed with our uh discovery and design dna um so there's a huge culture and extensive qualitative quantitative research that goes into and a lot of thought documentation and intention um before, you know, a line of code ever gets written. And so there really is a ton of product discovery, which is great to see, because I've also worked at teams where it's like very top down and just, okay, let's go execute, run as fast as we can. And product discovery kind of sits on the side and doesn't get the love and attention it needs. Um, the one thing that I think we're still refining and working on is the data piece. So I always like to say this about product is that you don't want to turn into a feature farm or factory. And so like one of the ways you do that is by making sure that as part of your product DNA is looking at the data of of what did you ship? What did you learn from that? What were the maybe expected and unexpected outcomes and have that be such a input into what you do next and your strategy. So many times we just go right onto what's plucking what's next from the roadmap, right? Regardless of what we just released yesterday. So that's still a culture that I am working on cultivating and, and moving forward.
0: How are you doing that? And how are you doing that with your team and kind of this mentorship development mindset? Is this something that you're bringing to, I guess, your team and the organization?
1: Yeah, so at the team level, obviously, um, that's a little bit easier to kind of influence in the short term. So once we release something, making sure that there is kind of a post-launch analysis that is shown with the team, standardizing that kind of what is included in that post-analysis, too. Um, We also had a account with Full Story that we really weren't using um, extensively. And Full Story, for those who don't know, is a great platform that allows you to um, actually see how users are interacting with your site uh, in real time. And so that was also an access to some of the qual, right? Because data tells one story and can tell quite a narrative, but nothing beats kind of seeing a user literally mouse around and where are they clicking and pausing and maybe toggling between it can really kind of help you have a full picture so through the full story kind of sessions as well as the um post-launch analysis we package that up put together uh, i always want them to put together hypotheses that we then explore as far as like what why we got the outcome and this is equally as important for something that worked as well as didn't work. I want to know if something worked, why it worked, so we can replicate it, maybe amplify it, uh, apply it to other parts of the site and share that learning outs to relevant businesses. If it didn't work, it's fine. We have to be comfortable with failure, understand the, the why behind it so we don't repeat that, and then figure out how we go ahead and iterate for the future or if we're going to be relieving that product and tech debt. So um, that's something that we're you know, doing now as we release features at the company level is more of just a visibility. So making the culture in the company that is me being very comfortable to not just go in on all hands and talk about our wins, but also to talk about what we learned if something didn't go to plan
0: mm. and what
1: we're doing about it and making sure that once we do have those kind of post releases packaged up, getting greater visibility in it. And so by us putting the example and setting it and not being fearless in how we talk about it, I think that then starts really kind of permeating in, in other teams as well.
0: And uh, the listeners at home couldn't see me shake my head when you, were, when you talked about launching and then having kind of not a postmortem, but a review of the data. There's just too many times that teams will launch something and, you know, throw their hands up and say hooray and, you know, maybe have a a party, a pizza party or something uh, for the launch. But that's, you know, as a product team, like that's where the work starts. That's where you start paying attention to customers. Uh, and I couldn't agree more with the full story. Um, you know, the ability to look through dashboards and, you know, your typical, you know, miniature mixed panel, which whatever your your flavor is. Uh, but then the full story, the ability to see the qualitative, the actual see the clicks. It's not like user testing where you would like, you know give a prototype to someone and you could see what the they're potentially clicking around with for a potential customer These are real people in real time. Um, love to hear your thoughts. where Where do you think the future in in this kind of review could go? You know the the technology keeps getting better. The data keeps getting better from a dashboard level. the The qualitative keeps getting better. Do you, do you have a sense of where you would imagine it would go?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think so much um, of this goes back what I would love to see is, is that I think we've gotten leaps and bounds around the access to information, right? And so even if you think about what we can do in Looker or Tableau, we can really build these amazing dashboards. But those dashboards truly are only as powerful as the analysis you do on them. And too many times I see teams that just have a million dashboards and no one's looking at them no one's monitoring them and they're there i kind of feel like sometimes it's a little bit of a safety net like a comfort measure Mm. of like well we have the data if we need to go look at it but there's not a culture of really actually doing analysis and actioning on that so where i would love to see this field go is really helping empower that phase even more seamlessly because the the real, the reality of the situation is that takes time. That takes a lot of investment and and thought for a team to do that regular check-in. And sometimes that operational process can be very heavy for a team. Um, I'm sure you've worked at orgs where you're having either weekly or bi-monthly business reviews. You have a deck where you got to go to all those dashboards and start filling in numbers and <laughs> putting them all in to go present to your leadership team or to your boss, whatever level you're at, right? It's very labor intensive. So if there were tools that actually really could actually intelligently synthesize the trends and give you Mm -hmm. those insights for you and really do that analysis. And then on top of that, be smart about benchmarking and triggers so that you can also be more proactive, right? In sense of, you might not have been looking in this area, but Having the tool actually say, "Hey, I'm actually seeing an interesting trend here," you know, whether it be something that's going up or down, and alert you to it, and then direct you to how do you double click in and actually find that um, those those causes that would be amazing, I think, for empowering product teams. If if someone could figure that out,
0: uh, it sounds like it's a fun evolution of product. I can't help but think of maybe this kind of walk, uh, crawl, crawl, walk, run, where like the crawl is like. When we started putting in, you know, the Omniture dashboards, people started to pay attention to the 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 user behavior in the websites and apps. And then you got the walk phases. All right, we're starting to put together Tableau dashboards. And then the run's going to be when product people really will be paying attention to the triggers. To your point, um, and and you know what brings them back in instead of just trying to get a sense of what the behavior is. uh, We'll have tools that will give us a very clear understanding of what the behavior is in a nuanced way. And then for us, it'll be about trying to figure out how to you know improve that experience through um, whatever we can find to to help you know trigger them to to con- continue to be able to do what they want even easier uh, than they were in the past.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, I won't get too much on the, as you can tell, I I love data, I know you even know that from the mentorship program, I love working in numbers, so I've always been a more data driven product gal, Um, but I think that's actually part of what GA4 is trying to do with insights and things like that, so I'm also watching that with some keen interest so we'll see when they uh fully i think next year they're going to force everyone over from uh the universal uh ga instance over to ga4 so we'll be we'll be seeing what those insights bring
0: i'm i'm actually not familiar with with the uh, the ga4 what could you tell us a little bit about it
1: well i'm no expert so i'll just start there because if you have any listeners who are i don't want to get called out for that but Uh, My understanding is is that they're really kind of uh, shifting in actually a pretty significant way how you interact with GA. Um, And this would be Google Analytics that we're
0: talking about. Yes, Google
1: Analytics, thank you, um, which shows a lot of your kind of site insights, your traffic insights, um, and can be a very powerful tool when when used effectively on a team. Um, And so I think they're going to be doing a lot heavier in building out uh, reports and then looking at engaged sessions. So like bounce rates gonna be gone. You're not gonna have bounce <laughs> rate. Like there's there's fundamental things that are changing, but one is that they have a whole new section that's literally called insights. And so it is. it seems like it needs some setup for you to kind of show GA in a sense, as far as what you need for the business. But um, yeah, it's supposed to be kind of more of that proactive insight engine. So we'll see what Google can put together there.
0: That's great. And has there been, you know, something, any previous role that kind of led you towards this data or is this from the heart, from the get-go, you were kind of science-minded and data was important um, or is it fostered along the way from from something you did in one of your previous roles that led to Code Academy?
1: I think probably both. I think I always tended to want numbers um, and I would say probably Evite was actually the, the CEO there really walked the talk on like being like we're a data-driven team I think many times you hear leaders or teams mention that but it's 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 not necessarily um as part of the culture as as it may sound evite it absolutely was and so that's absolutely where I gained my muscle and we also had a stellar data team to to partner with who were out just outstanding in their skill set. So I learned a lot from them also in that, in that journey. So that was absolutely where I kind of got those chops.
0: It's great to know. It's great for our listeners to hear, you know, Evite might be the place you want to go if, if you want to have a CEO that, you know, walks the talk in data-driven development. Um, and, you know, the last question here, and this is the one, uh, you know, because we're product in LA we want to make sure we keep the LA focus and uh I know you're you're you are a product of LA Brittany um one of the the fun facts I, I was thought about giving I we talked about the Alpha D and I talked I thought also about you know Brittany's also you know a diehard uh LA sports fan mm-hmm. uh, but uh what's the most LA thing that uh that's either happened to you in product or not but,
1: and I I don't know why this is such a hard question for me. You think it would be so easy because, um, yeah, I've been I've been out in L.A. practically th- since high school. Yeah. And I am a huge sports fan watching Dodgers with some very keen interest this year. Um, <laughs> you know, the only thing I can think of is just to, like how that most L.A. thing about me is just how I treat the city and driving in this city. So I probably would get shouted down for this, but like, I consider pretty much the West side of LA from like West Hollywood on. <laughs> like, cause I live in Eagle Rock. And so there's just this swath of LA to me that just feels so far away. And so, um you know, even if, when my husband is like, oh, we should, we should do a trip. uh Recently, I was like, oh, well, we should go to Venice. He's like, Venice and Italy. I'm like, no, Venice beach. Cause like, literally I haven't been there in years because the thought of like, facing LA traffic is just too daunting for me. So um, yeah, so every few years we make it to Santa Monica or Venice Beach. It's very embarrassing, but it's uh, probably the most LA thing about me is, is that I stay very local to my uh, mile radius for oh,
0: LA traffic. That, that, is, that is fantastic. That's a fantastic answer. And and uh, if anyone is listening here who's not from LA or has lived in LA for enough time, that, that is a real thing. There's the beauty about LA is there's a bubble, but there's just like 30 different bubbles, and uh, there's someone and something for everyone. So, uh, you know, if you uh, if you're not having a great time in LA, it's it's probably you need to find your niche. You need to find your people because uh, they're here and they're they're in perfect weather enjoying, it, except except for right now. And again, this <laughs> this is too timely for a podcast, but it it is baking hot in this this week that we're recording this one. So. Uh, apologies to to everyone who's watch, listening to this. Uh, down the line, uh, I hope we're in a, a, a less hotted, less heated place. Um, well, I wanted to thank you again, Brittany. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank and you so
1: much for having me.
0: Thank you again for for everything you've done for the LA product community. Um, uh, if you hadn't heard here a couple times, it's the PMA LA Product Manager Association Los Angeles Mentorship Program, PMA dot la slash mentorship um the current session is um open to applications until when Brittany?
1: uh september uh 20th
0: okay so another another two weeks um for folks who are listening to this right away if not their annual sessions actually there's four times a, uh i won't say three or four times uh Brittany, you're you're the the resident expert, actually the world expert at uh, <laughs> mentorship programs, I would say in general, you're very solid in, in mentorship programs, having both been a mentor in you know the UCLA Bruins network and also creating this mentorship program, PMALA, um, what are the sessions and when when could folks be looking out to sign up either as a mentor or as a mentee?
1: Yes. So um, we have three sessions. We have a fall, winter, and summer session. Um, and so the fall session will be starting on the 26th. Um, and so really the commitments are four one-hour sessions. We provide all of the materials you need as a mentor. So we will give you a rubric and guide on how to do a mock interview, how to do a resume review, um, how to do a cover letter review, whatever it is that you're looking to get done with the mentee. So it really is just those four one-hour commitments. We go ahead and match you. So we will go ahead and take care of all of the kind of communication leading up the introduction and those kinds of um, items. And then for the mentee side, I will say this is currently um exclusive to either undergraduate undergraduate or mba students so it does need to be a student and uh from an underrepresented background so that's criteria for that um and yeah we're accepting applications now through the 20th and then we'll do the matching where you'll get a match with either your mentor or mentee and we'll kick off the program the next week
0: that's great and what's kind of also awesome about this program is that uh there are at least two, you mentioned 270 students who've been mentored. Uh, and I know of at least two of those who've gone on to be directors of product already. And the the program's only a couple of years old. So, um, yes. you know, la- last pitch uh, doesn't really need it, but last pitch is just basically, uh, if you're looking for some way to give back, you're looking for some way to make an impact, not just on, your own world, but in, in someone else's and, uh, help build this product community. Um, this is a fantastic opportunity. So uh, thank you again, Brittany, uh, for everything you've done, everything you're doing. Um, want to thank our listeners for joining us and, uh, we will see you next time on product in LA.